Educators want to stay fresh with literacy instruction, but are so busy with students, they don't always have the time. All year long, Choice Literacy publishes and delivers the best K-12 literacy practices so that educators can grow their students as readers and writers with choice in literacy. Welcome to the Big Fresh Choice Literacy Podcast. I'm Ruth Ayers. Pass along the Big Fresh. Knitting is a perfect metaphor for life. You might spend months knitting something, but you could probably unravel the whole thing in hours. By Gabo de la Pera. I've been knitting little cotton rabbits. Actually, that's not true. I've been knitting one little cotton rabbit since June. Little cotton rabbits are small stuffed animals that are adorable. For years, I've wanted to knit these sweet rabbits, but I've not trusted my skills. My friends, Ingrid and Kariana, knit them. My mom knits them. Her friends knit them. They send me pictures, and I lament about wanting to knit little cotton rabbits. I joined the Little Cotton Rabbit Facebook group. I'm not really a Facebook user, but I found myself scrolling through the Little Cotton Rabbit pictures and comments. The members of the group make up stories for their Little Cotton Rabbits, and it makes me wish I would knit a Little Cotton Rabbit. Perhaps I was borderline whining, but whatever the reason, for my birthday, my mom gave me the supplies and patterns to knit Little Cotton Rabbits. She also sent me a link to tutorials for all of the stitches and abbreviations that I don't know. You can knit these, Ruth, Mom insisted. So I started. I made a bunny head and a bunny body. It didn't take long, and they were the correct shape. Then I quit. I'm not sure why, but I started telling myself that knitting a little cotton rabbit was impossible. I debated about where to put the supplies because it was silly for them to take up space in the basket in the living room when I wasn't working the needles. They kept haunting me for months. Ironically, I kept checking the Facebook group. Then my nephew and his wife announced they are expecting a baby. I decided a little cotton rabbit would be the perfect gift. As the baby shower quickly approached, I picked up my needles again, intending to finish the bunny I began and then create a kitten for the new baby. Little cotton rabbit patterns come in an array of sweet animals. As I knit, I thought about literacy instruction. There is so much information on how to get started, how to troubleshoot, how to lift the level of instruction, how to assess, and more and more and more. I wondered if there are a lot of teachers out there like me when it comes to knitting a little cotton rabbit. They have everything they need at their fingertips, yet they are still frozen. They don't need more resources or more ideas. They need someone who insists you can do this. We all know teachers who are working to strengthen their literacy instruction. Let's be the people who encourage them by passing on this big fresh to one person who needs a little inspiration.
Ruth, I had to smile when I read your Big Fresh lead for this week because I just, number one, um, love that you are willing to dive into a little knitting. It's just a task I have yet to push myself toward, but then to actually make something. So I was super excited at the end of your piece to find out that you're going to be sharing Henry with us, um, your little perfectly imperfect cotton rabbit um, on some of our social media platforms. So I am really looking forward to seeing that. Maybe maybe at some point I'll I'll dive into something that ambitious. Well, we were, um, I was laughing because when I finished him, uh, he's really wonky and I, I think it'll come out on the pictures on social media, but he just, he kind of looks like he needs to go to the chiropractor. <laughs> and my mom was like, don't worry about it. Just put some clothes on him. He'll be fine. So I think it's just such a great metaphor, uh, really for, you know, for the work that we're doing is we just bit by bit and it can be perfectly imperfect. Well, I think that that piece that you mentioned, you know, of just knowing you can do it, just somebody to kind of cheer us on. And it made me think a lot about in the free for all that very first article starts out with those brave things we do. And believe me, Ruth, I think knitting is very brave. I think writing is brave, but knitting is, whoa, very brave. Um, But I love this piece by Tara Barnett and Kate Mills about supporting brave writers And just trying to get kids to also know that they can give it a try and that they can do that writing work. Um, I love the important distinction they made in that getting brave is letting kids know we're just not trying to fill the the space with words necessarily, but instead we're really kind of trying to fill the space with you. Who are you and what are the stories you bring to the table? Yeah. And it's so beautiful. Um, They wrote that a little bit ago. It was in 2016. And as I was reading it, I just thought this is something I need to hear now and really some timeless truth in that article. Yes, I think so. I think a lot of us are carrying some big stories right now. And this is the perfect piece to remind us to be brave enough. It's really easy, I think, to skip share sessions in writing workshop and in reading workshop. And so this issue is really about how do you know if students are learning? And for me, the share session is one of the key places that I gather information about kids. So I was excited to uh, share two free articles about uh, share sessions. One is by Katrina Edwards, who's a first grade teacher. And then the other one is one that I wrote in 2018, just about some of my go-to share sessions and some of, and then some new ones that I was trying out too. Kathy, I have to tell you, there's that high five share and, you know, now it's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I really want kids high fiving um, in the middle of. COVID. And so I was just in a classroom last week and I wanted um, the high five share is where kids, they high five, they share something and they put their hand up and they look for somebody else. And so this kind of share really gets kids to be able to share with a lot of different people uh, in a short amount of time. And I get to hear specifics about what they're, they're working on as a reader or writer. So I wanted some of those benefits without the high five. And so I had kids hold their notebooks up and then they um, kind of, you know, stretched out their notebooks. So there's still a space and they just said like clink. And then they were sharing um, still with that distance between them. And it was, it just worked really well. 
And so I was thinking about how, you know, like it's just understanding what am I wanting to get from the share session? I want to hear what kids have to say and I want them talking and processing and really growing. In this case, I wanted them to be growing their list and um, they loved it. And I thought um, it just worked. It worked well. Yeah, I think you have several here that work well in a lot of different situations and um, guilty as charged. I think we've all learned those hard lessons of skipping share. And one of the things that um, I learned across time is that that chair is essential for me to really know where my reader or my writers are and what they're working on. And so a lot of times it's really a very efficient way to get a good grasp on what kids are doing. And so in addition, I feel like you've offered another COVID friendly way here with the photo share, because I think a lot of times we have those spaces where kids can put their writing so their friends can still see it and comment. Um, and that we also have a record and start to collect those artifacts of growth across time. So um, lots of great ideas to, I felt like, kind of put a little jumpstart into your workshop or to gather a little more information, but to make sure that we're taking the time to do that important work of sharing. So the most recent article I wrote about share is in the classic classroom section, and it is about a formative assessment from share sessions. And I was working with a group of teachers uh, and helping, I was really looking for um, an article on the site that would help move this conversation along about how share, um, it's not just like the cherry on top of workshop, that there's serious work that's happening uh, during that time. And so in this session, uh, or I mean, in this article, it was super inspired by uh, both our remote work and our in-person work, and just taking a close look at the kinds of assessment that we're able to get from a share session. Yes, Ruth, I really appreciated this article and the ways to think through that intentional planning of my share. And for me, the one that really stood out was the partner share. And also the student to student written feedback, because I think that's always the big stretch for me as a classroom teacher is finding those ways that kids can support one another in the work that they're doing. And I felt like you offered some great possibilities for me to build some of those partnerships for the students in my classroom. Uh, Thank you, Kathy. Um, I think that's like the best kind of Um, article. And that's really what we're going for on the site, right? Where people read articles and it just, um, it allows them to think creatively about their instruction and then put it in play in a way that makes sense in their, their corner of the world. Ruth, your point is such a good one. Not only does do the choice literacy articles help me to think about my classroom, but honestly, it just really makes me think about literacy in the world we live in. And, and Jen Court's article, Write Like Nancy, Ruth, I want to live like Nancy. I want to be the person out on my bike in the neighborhood with my notebook in my bag and stopping to talk to people and asking questions where my writing is such a part of my life that I really don't see the two things as separate. And what I love that Jen talks about here is what that should look like for our kids in the classroom as well. Um, and the importance of giving them choice and then helping them to connect to other writers as well. But what I really love that she did was at the end where she talks about celebrating the writing. I think so often when we're planning a unit of study, we think hard about the beginning 
how we're going to get kids started. And we think hard about the end, like what we want to see in their writing. But it's those little steps along the way that matter so much to get us there. And sometimes I know I can kind of overlook them. And so Jen reminds me to take that time to pause and to celebrate the little steps that are going to help us to get to where we want to be at the end of the unit. Yeah, um, Jen is a new writer, uh, but she is somebody I've been in her classroom. I've kind of been nudging her to write for a long time because she is filled with um, insight and wisdom in how to approach reading and writing with children. Um, and so this article, it's, just, it's fun to read. Like you said, Nancy is a stranger that Jen met when she was out on a walk and uh, was really inspired to think about the experiences kids were having in her classroom. Plus, can we just pause, Kathy, because we're both dog lovers and just wasn't the picture of Jen's dog <laughs> such a great addition? It really was, Ruth. I'm thinking maybe that's what we should have on social media is a picture of all of our dogs and the things that they do, right? <laughs> Definitely. You know, I was, uh, our listeners, I we were talking, but I just, right before recording this podcast, I just got back from the Chicago area where I was with three choice literacy contributors um, and I met all of their dogs and it was kind of the best highlight of the trip. So, um, so that was fun. We should, we do kind of, a lot of us have dogs that we really adore. Well, one of the things I love about the choice literacy is seeing the dogs, of course, but also hearing from all the different contributors, because I think so often um, we go into our classrooms or our spaces in our schools, and we don't get to really hear the why behind the decisions that teachers are making in their classrooms. And I love being able to hear Jen's voice in that article. And then in the video that was shared in this week's collection with Katie Doherty, um, when she talks about her middle school reading workshop choices, I just love hearing her thinking behind what she asks kids to do during the workshop. And um, especially as she talked about the way she gives kids different choices of things they can do to show their thinking and understanding along the way. But she's collecting those artifacts of learning and thinking that they can return to and they can help her to plan moving forward. So I loved hearing her reflect on the decisions that she makes and being able to know what her kids are learning during that time when she isn't always beside them. Me too. Anybody that's a middle school teacher, I think they would probably love digging into Katie's, uh, Katie's article and articles and videos on the site because she, she does uh, make it practical and accessible and she just cracks open, open her thinking uh, and it makes a lot of sense. So I, I really enjoyed that video. We brought it back as an encore video. The course we highlighted in the classic classroom section is the general workshop routines. And it does the same thing as what you're just describing, Kathy, where it's a lot of different voices weighing in on just setting is routines and procedures to make workshop work and to set the norms. Uh, so that might be a course that people will want to check out. For sure. And then when you get um, into the Leaders Lounge, there is also a course that's being offered, one of the deep dive courses, Ruth, um, Getting Organized for Literacy Coaching, which I think also gives us that opportunity to reflect and hear the perspectives of different literacy leaders. 
Yeah, I just heard from someone who's an instructional coach. She reached out by just hitting reply to last week's newsletter. And she was asking, you know, is this a course? She's an elementary uh, literacy coach. And she's like, will this work for me as an elementary coach? And I was like, absolutely. And um, in fact, when I was digging into it, most of the content is from an elementary perspective. And so I think it is... It's just a great course. We've talked about you know, in the past few weeks how sometimes it's it's best to do it now here in the fall as some things are underway. And I think it's the kind of experience that will will give people uh, some help them just establish some strong roots to for their their work as instructional coaches. Absolutely, I think it's also the kind of thing that I would be inclined to work through with a colleague, I think it would make the experience even more powerful. So, so many different opportunities in those courses in the way that you can use them, the pace that you move and um, the learning that you can take away from those opportunities. So Matt Rinwick has a new article out um, called A Sense of Accomplishment. And this is about making students' literacy learning visible. I love this article. I could not ignore the fact that only Matt would be brave enough to just, let's just take on a building and see if we can make it better. So I love that first. Um, But I think that his bigger point there that when the work was done, being able to actually visually see the change that was made is so important to the craftsmen and reminding us that that's also important to the students in our classroom, that we find ways to help them to see how they're progressing, how they're successful and the ways that they're growing in the work they do. And he gives some great ideas here for helping to make that learning visible for kids. I always appreciate uh, Matt because I just think he lives wholly and Uh, So often in his articles, he's connecting it to things that are happening outside of school and how that influences the way he truly is a literacy leader as a principal of his elementary school. Yeah, I think the advice that Matt gives is always so helpful and I can always apply it in so many different ways. And I think his point that Students need to be able to have that time to reflect and to see their growth as an important one. And I really loved in the coaching minute um, where you have the short little video clip that is about what's said here stays here, what's learned here leaves here. And um, just such a powerful short statement to think about when we're gathering as coaches that we do need to have that opportunity to kind of think through and work through those pieces that are challenging for us so we can grow and be better in our work. And you make such great points here, Ruth, but I think what also really struck me is this same thing needs to be applied for teachers. Teachers need to know that they too have this space where they can say the things that are hard for them and feel safe in putting that out there on the table that we're gonna hold on to it and help them work through it together. Sometimes it's just in that kind of talking and processing that we can get to a better place that we can move forward. Yeah, I, I love that, that it's, it's needed for 
I think we should say like it's needed for adult learners. It's needed for kids too. As humans, we need mm. places that we can, that can be safe to say things. Uh, the, the norm is, uh, like you said, what's said here stays here. What's learned here leaves here. And I also love that part about this expectation that we are going to learn things and we're going to take that learning away with us. Um, and so it just fits that norm really fits, uh, helps us balance the tension that we always feel in PD when we're like coming together, right? Like there has to be this part where we can relax so that we can focus on the learning. Um, and so it's a, a norm that I did not come up with. I work with a group of coaches and uh, many years ago, I said, I'd really like to have a set of norms that we that we attend to. And this was one of them that was suggested and it has, um, it's just really helped form the culture and the fiber of that group. And it's always one that when new people join us, they're, they're struck by, uh, it gives them pause. And I think it's because it's that validation of this is a safe place to say the things you need to say. And this is also a place where we're gonna learn and take the learning away. I think that's always our hope, isn't it? When we gather as a group that we're going to come away with something, some new piece of learning that we're going to want to take out and put to use to amplify, to be able to share with others. I know I'm always excited when I go to something and I have new ideas to think about and I can come get beside those people that I love learning alongside in those other spaces and share that information with them. And I thought it really tied so nicely to the ending of the collection of articles this week, The Happy Secret to Better Work. Okay, Ruth, sometimes it just makes me laugh, but you know, I'm like the happy secret to better work. Well, can we just like put the words across the front so I know what that might be? But (laughs) I decided it would be a good idea to listen and to try to find out. And first of all, um, the speaker, Sean, is just so funny. So that is a fantastic thing. But also just that point that um, happiness is the goal, like that's what we're after. And so often that what he talks about that we do, and I hope I'm not giving the secret away, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, But so often what we do is we set a goal. And when we get that goal, we move the goalpost again, we do it to kids, we do it to ourselves, we do it to our learning communities. And so we never really feel like we get there. And what I love about your norm and this is that it lets us kind of sit in that happy space of all the learning that we're doing and just constantly growing and changing. Um, you know, as he, as he calls it, the happiness revolution, I'm on board for that. Like what could go wrong, right? That sounds fantastic. <laughs> this was one that for me, it was just the right, the right words at the right time. And I love the validation that it's, it's okay to be happy and that that is what we're, we're after. And that when we linger in that happiness, we actually become stronger professionals. And I, I really needed to hear that message um, at the right time. It is a longer video. Usually I share like less than four minute videos. So this one I think is around 12. Um, but it's, it's worth it to hang in until the end. Yes. I'm going to 100% advise everyone to just stay right there. You will be glad that you did. (laughs) 
At Choice Literacy, we know that you want to be an educator who makes students' lives better through literacy. In order to do that, you need access to comprehensive literacy practices delivered in a way you will actually use. With over 150 in-the-field contributors, we understand the pressure to reach a variety of needs and not enough time to do it, which is why we hold true to workshop tenets like choice and share practical ways to plan and deliver literacy instruction straight to the point of student need. You can find links to all of the articles discussed in the show notes or sign up for the Big Fresh so you can have the links delivered directly to your inbox. Keep growing readers and writers by offering choice in literacy.